uh, titled A Good Man is Hard to Find by the great writer Flannery O'Connor. So what are, uh, what are people's initial reactions to the story? I was not expecting it. What were you expecting from me? A nice little happy ending where a good man is found and <laughs> 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 Well, I'm sorry, okay? I wasn't expecting the whole death thing, okay? No, I, I'm with Wumpy. I think it is very surprising because it starts out with this apparently throwaway line. It sounds like, oh, the grandma's just, you know, sort of a crotchety old woman and she's, I don't know, maybe a bit of a complainer. So she's found this article and she's like, oh no, look, this guy got released. It's super surreal that they end up meeting the guy. And it, I think it imbues the story with this whole like sort of supernatural driving force. It's so weird, though. It's just, it, it just hits you. It's like, oh, shoot, it's actually happening. Like, the whole time I was like, nah, it's not happening. They're just playing the prank on her. So, no, it's, wow. No, wow. No, so, I mean, it's grim. I mean, you know, a family of uh, five plus the grandmother are all murdered by a insane criminal. Um. But it is it is funny the degree to which uh, the grandmother calls the uh, calls the uh, calls the situation into being. I mean, think of all the things she had to do to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, first, she has to um, she has to bring the cat. Right. If there's no cat in the car, there's no accidents. There's no encounter with the misfit. Second, she has to read the story in the newspaper and recognize the misfit because he uh, he's not going to murder them. He's there to help them with their car until the grandmother recognizes him. Yeah, and um, yeah, that's third, third, yeah. third, she uh, has to imagine that there was this you know plantation house with you know the the six white columns, and then you know remember that it's in Tennessee and. Uh, you know, freak out and cause the accident. Be, you know, yeah, she, she has, she has, to, she has to lie, lie about the house and manipulate the children into uh, forcing Bailey, the father, to go drive to the house. So all those things have to happen for her to have her encounter with the misfit. Exactly. She waves her arms wildly when she sees their car driving down. So maybe it was a foregone conclusion at that point. But you're right, Fran. She really does bring it on. Well, I don't think it was because. He doesn't, you know, when, when she recognizes him, the misfit says it would be better if you hadn't recognized me for you. Yeah. I don't think it was a foregone conclusion. I think the misfit was just going to help them with their car wreck. Or maybe steal the car. Yeah, I maybe agree. I actually, I agree with Fran. Like, I think it could have been way better if she hadn't recognized him. Like, oh, what could have happened? Maybe at the end, like, they leave them there at the plantation and steal the car or something like that. But, like, no. She recognized, like, it really was the grandmother who did it. Which, I don't know. I was thinking about what Wanch what said about this being, like, a supernatural driving force. That, I feel like that's exactly what, like, O'Connor is getting for, uh, is going for with this. Is that, like, there's all these weird coincidences that happen up. And the whole point is that, the like, the grandmother and, and the misfit face off. And they have this deep conversation about morality and Jesus, right? 
and like it really gets to him like he's crying you know he's like really shaken by this moment he's like exploring his 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 ideas so it's almost like the the entire family was just like a tool by the like sent there by fate just to get him thinking and talking yeah and i i guess in that vein i would say it's deep in one direction because um for the misfit it's definitely a very deep conversation but what was kind of curious to me is that the grandmother really aside from that one line she has at the end, which I'm sure we'll get into, she never really changes, you know, her viewpoint on everything. And I think that that kind of ties into the title, right? How she just throws the term a good man so loosely to anything that can maybe serve her or aligns with her beliefs, right? So when they're at the restaurant and the store owner, you know, lent, you know, uh, served gas to people on credit and paid them on credit. And it's obviously not going to pay him back. She's like, oh, well, you're a good man. That's why you did it. Um, you know, kind of associating simpler, innocent times, like things she can relate to as good, not things that are intrinsically good as good. And then she sees the misfit who is clearly <laughs> not a good man. And she starts calling him a good man, throwing, a, a, um, throwing around that term very loosely just to kind of serve her interests. And because, you know, to her, a good man is someone who, you know, respects a lady. Her moral code really has to do with being, you know, a very proper lady. Um, Harkening back to simpler times, she's against, you know, kind of the change that has occurred in the present. And her way of throwing that term around so loosely, you kind of realize she really doesn't have a definition for a good man. And that's why a good man is so hard to find because she doesn't really know what it is and to the point where she's calling a murderer someone who's about to murder her you know a good man um and she really just the conversation on her end just isn't that deep until you know she has that one moment of um i don't know i'll call it enlightenment right before she's killed but throughout the whole story i just don't see her changing and uh because she's really just trying to get others to serve her and her you know, um, needs, you know, whether it's going to Tennessee instead of Georgia or going to go see that plantation house or going to, you know, she, she just kind of, uh, kind of structures the definition of what's good to serve her and not what's intrinsically good. Right. Yeah, I, mean, I totally agree. But, uh, I do also want to put in that like, if someone was about to kill me, I'd be like, oh, you don't want to do it. Come on. Come on, you're a really good person at heart. There's like, there's like, a, there's a place for you somewhere. Like, don't worry, you're not a misfit, something like that. I uh, I do get what you're saying, Diego, but still, I, mean, I would have called my murderer. Oh, you're good, you're good. Don't worry. That's how I read it. That's that's not what. But there, she's like just trying to again use the definition of good yeah. to serve her. Yeah, you know, I she know. doesn't actually. So that that's. I would do it though. Like, so, like putting yourself in those shoes, I would do. It's it. not really like the point of. What, but whatever. Yeah. I do feel for Bailey, like the dad. Is he her son or her son-in-law? Son, yeah. Okay. Because, like, she's always just chatting, 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 and she's always, like, sort of pushing people in the direction or trying to pull the strings and, like, like just really being a pain. And he has to, like, put up with this the entire time, you know? Like, I can just imagine being incredibly exasperated if your mom is, like, just always meddling. Up, and up until the point where, where the entire family dies... And it's entirely her fault, start to finish. 
even in ways he doesn't even anticipate. Like, I mean, let's not call it entirely her fault. I mean, she had no idea that the misfit would be there. It no, was her fault, the, but she had no idea. I mean, the, the point is, yeah, though, that that's, it's that's because of her actions. It is, it is her fault because she's led them. She kind of tricked the kids into saying there was like some trap door room or, um, you know, she basically tricked the kids into wanting to go to serve her own purposes. And then she, if it weren't for the grandma, they would never be in this position, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, the distinction there is we can say it's a her fault in the sense that it it's because of everything she did. We, we can't say it's her fault in the sense of like, you know, uh, she deserved it or something or the family. No. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, that's where sort of the, the twist of fate comes in. Cause it really just a bunch of ridiculous coincidences all coming together at the same time. Right. Uh, well, I mean, it is in a sense, in a sense, it is, sorry, I didn't mean to speak over you. Um, in a sense, it is kind of her fault. I mean, she's, uh, so, I mean, look, I'm going to read here. The grandmother shrieked. She scrambled to her feet and stood staring. You're the misfit, she said. I recognize you at once. Yes, ma'am, the man said, the man said, smiling slightly as if he were pleased in spite of himself to be known. But it would have been better for all of you, lady, if you hadn't have recognized me. Bailey turned his head sharply and said something to his mother that shocked even the children. The old lady began to cry and the misfit reddened. Lady said, don't be upset. Sometimes a man says things you don't mean. I don't reckon he meant to talk to you that way. Um, so, so, I mean, it is, you know, not, not only does she engineer the situation uh, with the cat and the... Uh, the fake story. I mean, she, she ultimately has to, they, they were not going to die until she recognized and then stupidly told the mis misfit that she recognized him. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we understand, you know, how, how she got there, but maybe we should talk about more about what I think is sort of the main point of the story, which is once they're there, sort of this, uh, showdown, uh, as, I think somebody called it between the grandmother and the misfit. I mean, I thought this was pretty cool, right? There's sort of, uh, to me, it seems like the story is really about the misfit and sort of O'Connor is using the whole story and the family and the grandmother just to get at this, as you, Diego pointed out, very one-sided conversation that the misfit is almost having with himself about Jesus, about the law, about his own past, about the moral life. It's extremely powerful. Oh, I thought the story was really about the grandmother, but let's <laughs> whatever. Oh, that's just the entire story is all about the family and the grandmother, and then you get to like I don't know if you reflect on it. The only thing which like is really she's really punching out with the story is the conversation with the misfit. So like all that was just a setup to this moment, and even in this moment, you only get this little tiny iceberg of his situation in his life, and then from that little the, those little bits of data, we have to sort of peel back like what happened in his life. What is his deal? Like, what is he thinking, you know? Yeah, but friend, so you think the story is about the grandmother. Maybe you could say more about that because that's definitely not my reading, but I'm open to it. Well, she, well I, I just, it seems to me that she's the protagonist and the misfit's more like a force of nature almost. Okay, right? he's, not, he's, not, he's not thinking too hard about what he's doing. And ultimately, the 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 moment of the story where 
the the climax of the story is where she changes, where she, you know, she reaches out to him and says uh, that, you know, that she could be, uh, she could be one of his babies, right? Or she, what, what's the line? It's, it's the, I, I, I have it written down. It's why you're one of my babies. You're one of my own children. And then he leaps back as if she were a snake. So she's she's going through the story, very judgmental, very almost Machiavellian, if grandmothers could be Machiavellian. And then she at this at the end of the story, she she has this moment of like compassion and recognition that I think is totally sincere. Like it's not she's not pleading for her life in this moment where she says she's one of his babies. Right? She's she's having this totally sincere moment of recognition of this humanity of this monstrous human being. And that recognition of that humanity is threatening to him so much that he leaps back as if she were a snake and shoots her three times in the chest. Not once, three she, uh, grandmother three times in the chest, right? So there's something threatening about that, that understanding of, of uh, oneness between them to the misfit. Um, but I can also kind of see Huncher's point of the misfit being the main character. I didn't think of that way, but once you write it up and I'm kind of thinking back to it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't matter who the main character is. I mean, that's sort of a an academic discussion in a way. But I, 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 I don't know. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it is. But I, I really do think the story is about the grandmother's moment of transformation. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it the the character of the grandmother is sort of um, just flat throughout the whole story. Very yeah. flat. She's the same, and it really isn't until that one line that you see any progression, that you see any um, illumination, we'll call it a moment of grace, maybe, you know, uh, that you see any development. And in that case, you know, um, I think that the story really is about both of them in the end. It, it, it really just leads to this conversation and conversations are inherently, you know, uh, well, not inherently, but, you know, there's multiple people involved. In this case, it's two. And there's, you know, there's a reason she sends the other two murderers into the woods and it's just kind of a showdown between her and, um, and, and, and the misfit. And you really don't see any progression in the character of the grandmother until that one line. Whereas obviously the misfit, you see a lot more of a conversation going on and a lot more, um, you know, just kind of, uh, you see a lot more of his story. And I think, you know, it's that one line that kind of changed it for me, you know, that that it really is kind of about both of these people finding, I'll use the term again, like finding like a moment of grace. Because even after when he shoots uh, the grandma, you know, he harkens back to his own kind of code of, you know, there's something about that the, there's only meanness in life. There's no pleasure, just meanness. And like back to, he kind of realizes, wow, like before maybe he got pleasure in killing or pleasure and um, it, that's where he derived his pleasure from. But now that ceased to bring him happiness. And so maybe there's a possibility for him to change too. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but no, I, I, it really I, is a two-sided story. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the right answer. I think, uh, I think, yeah, I, I, maybe I had underestimated, I definitely had underestimated sort of the redemption of the grandmother, almost if you call it, which is kind of weird, right? Because on the one hand, you have this murderous criminal who just, you know, he killed a family, you know, a father, a mother, and their three children in cold blood. And he had no problem doing it or, or telling his henchmen to do it. And so on the one hand, you know, you're looking for redemption and the operation of grace in his life. And I think you do see it. 
but it's sort of sneaky. On the other hand, you have this woman who has not lived this horrible life, we can assume, right? She's not like morally depraved. She hasn't shot anybody in the head. She hasn't stolen things. She hasn't been to jail. But she is pretty self-centered, right? She lives her whole life as far as we can see. You're right, Dave. She's very flat. And it seems, it occurs to me that uh, the story is sort of mostly told from her perspective. And you never see her thinking about somebody else or the needs of someone else. She's just sort of so stuck in the past. She's so, yeah, she's so just sort of caught up and wrapped up in her own story and like nostalgia for a better time until that last moment when she really genuinely sort of, I don't know, makes someone else sort of the object of her, of her attention truly in a deep way. Like she really reaches out sort of lovingly, I would say definitely lovingly to this man, even though he's about to kill her. So yeah, she does have a redemptive moment for, for sure. And then in a sense, they both do, I think. Which yeah, but what's, mean, what's, he's, he's a normal he's grandma, grandma, you know? Like, that's just how people are sometimes, is they think about themselves first and foremost, right? And that's why I feel like focusing on her redemptive arc is like, I mean, sure, there's something there, but I feel like, like you know, between her and the misfit, somebody has a lot more redemption to get in, you know? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying, oh, but we all need redemption, right? That's what I think Flannery O'Connor would say. And it's so, yeah. kind of powerful that both people can be brought to that, even though they have such different different arcs as you say i mean you're right yeah there's a huge discrepancy but it's kind of it's kind of cool that in that moment they're sort of equals right they're just both people who who need grace i guess and one person is receptive and the other isn't like i want to touch up back on is like how the ego said like she was a really flat character kind of mean like during the story she was like as as it was building up she wasn't like the kindest of people you know and like she does have that like one redemptive moment and maybe it's like Flannery O'Connor trying to say like, oh, wait, and then what about this? Um, What about this misfit? Is he going to have that moment? I don't know. I don't know if he had that moment, but she definitely had that moment because like we could see throughout the whole story, like she wasn't a terrible person, but she wasn't being the nicest person. And like it kind of built up. Yeah. So one question I have for you guys, when she says that big line, the like, <laughs> what is it? She's uh why you're one of my babies, right? And then you're one of my own children. And then she reaches touch his shoulder, right? Like, what the hell is she saying? You know, like, the misfit isn't actually one of her own kids, is he, right? So like, you know, what what does that line mean? Here's a cool thing that I saw somebody observe. Um, At that point, the misfit is wearing her son's shirt. He's wearing Bailey's shirt, right? So there is, you could argue maybe that she's just, I don't agree with this, but maybe she's just in this totally sort of crazed moment. Uh, she's reaching out. She's grasping at straws. But as Diego said, I don't think that's true. This seems like sort of the truest moment from the grandmother. So I don't know exactly exactly what's up there, but maybe, I don't know, maybe she's, I don't know, she's seeing that she has something in common with this man. That's how I read it. Yeah. A, a, yeah. I saw it as a common humanity. You know, she saw it. Almost, I'll say, you know, um, she kind of, that Flannery O'Connor kind of talks to her about how she went out living, you know, outwardly, what, like, uh, uh, what she deemed to be a righteous Christian life, but then could never really go get herself to pray or go get herself to utter those words. And she had actually, just before this, denied, um, you know, whether, questioned whether Jesus had, had risen from the dead at all in her conversation and then here i feel i see this as a moment of wait 
we are we do have a common humanity we do have you know um i i i i know we've hearkened on this a lot but i do see it kind of like as a as a redemption as a redemptive moment for her but right before of course like, oh you're you're a child of god or, or you're a person too but to say you're one of my babies right like that's like a really weirdly deep and deeply odd thing to say right so like i, I feel like this moment of clarity right i don't know if you if you follow this whole like like uh arm of fate sort of situation you, you feel like this is the hand of god getting this family in touch with a misfit ever so briefly right is this is almost like a tool of god just to get him to have this moment and then in that reading she would almost be speaking like from the voice of god she'd be like you're one of my babies right right when he's he's saying like did jesus rise from the dead i don't know like thinking about it um and then she's like I'm, you're one of my babies, right? It's almost like God reaching out to him. Again, which which may be sort of running with a train of thought far, but I don't know. It's it's one thought. Yeah, what's the line again, Gage? Do you still have it? I can read it out. Sorry, I was on mute. Um, it's, uh, why, you're one of my babies. You're one of my own children. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think the precise words are what's important. I think the sentiment's what's important. Uh. And, uh, you know, I mean, she, what is, what is this? Let me, let me read it out for you guys. His voice seemed about to crack and the grandmother's head cleared for an instant. She saw the man's face twisted close to her own, et cetera, et cetera. Why one of you, you're one of my babies. You're one of my own children. Right. So like to say that she was just sort of like babbling and she was like, her head was reeling. She didn't know what she was, she was saying. That doesn't really fit the, the narrative. Um, well, well, no. And then the misfit says at the end, it's, he's got this great line. Uh, she would have been a, a good woman, the misfit said, if it had been some, if if it had been somebody there to shoot her every minute of her life. <laughs> Maybe the misfit seems <laughs> like a pretty insightful guy. Maybe he gets a pretty good read on her pretty quick, right? Like she's she's sort of a naggy old lady, <laughs> but you know when 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 the rubber really hits the road. She does dig deep and find something, find something very good and merciful in herself, right? It is an act of mercy to reach out in love to someone who just killed your family. I mean, it's a crazy act of mercy. That's true, actually. I, when I first read it, I thought it was just a ridiculous, funny line, like, oh, she's such a pain, right? But like, actually, the, the deeper read is, is a lot more touching of like, oh, this was really when she came into her own and she had this beautiful moment, right? Just because... I was about to shoot her. Um, dang. It's powerful. It's a very powerful story. What about some of the uh, the theology? Well, they have this sort of theological conversation that, you know, it's almost, you know, it's almost like, uh, he's almost like the Grand Inquisitor or something. Or, or right? It's the, it could be like this, like, very philosophical conversation in, in a Russian novel at the end of the book. You know, I don't, I don't, I, what do you guys make of that? I mean, I, I, uh, I, I'm not entirely sure what to think about it. it I, what I kind of saw is, um, like, I could kind of see, like, at the last moment, like, someone pointed out, it's like, kind of like God, and like, but you're one of my children. Like, why are you about to shoot me? Like, I, I just thought it was interesting, especially looking at it from, like, Glenary O'Connor's point of view. Like, that, that could kind of be like God, like, reaching out to one of, one of his children and be like, but you're one of my babies. Why are you doing this to me? No, I mean, we've already really, we've beaten that point to death at this point. I'm talking about some of the other stuff in here. Yeah, so the Um, other stuff, I picked up on some anger 
which I thought was kind of cool. I don't want to get us too far afield, but it reminded me of a great movie I saw once called Cool Hand Luke. And the central figure in this movie is played by Paul Newman. It's a great movie. I highly recommend it. And he's similar to The Misfit. He hasn't killed anybody, but he's sort of been in and out of prison. And he's a misfit. He's misunderstood. And at one point in that movie, the, the, the character, Cool Hand Luke, it starts raining and he's sort of in a tough spot. He's in this like prison camp and he just shakes his fist in like pure anger at God. And he screams at God. He screams up at the sky and maybe with less sort of in a, in a sort of different, uh, in a different pitch, there seemed to be something about this, like in, in, in this misfits conversation, he's like, if you could just give me something, then I could be a good man, but you haven't given me anything. The misfit needs, I'm forgetting the exact moment, but at some point he says something along the lines of, if he had been there, if he had been there to see Jesus rise from the dead, or if he had been there to see Jesus raise other people from the dead, then he could believe and then he could live a good life. But he wasn't. And he seems to feel like he was almost cheated by God because he had a chance at living a good life, but he didn't take it because he didn't have enough to go on. Well, on, on the other hand, you know, uh, <laughs> most people don't witness uh that kind of thing in their life. Uh, and uh, somehow they manage not to murder people. True, true. Right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's something to that. But as he says, he's just a different kind of person. And th- this is what made me think of the movie. Cool Hand Luke was also just like from birth. He was just sort of destined to not do well in society because some people, what, is, what does his dad say about him? He says something like, some people, they just need to be there or something, or they need to, they need to see. Anyway, like even when he was young, the misfit that is, his father sort of knew that he was going to have a tough life because he was, uh, he was just different, right? And so you're right. Most people can not witness miracles and, uh, and they'll be, and they still won't be killing people. But uh, the misfit feels like this is how God made me, you know? Yeah. And notice how when she, the grandmother says that you come from good people, he says, yeah, there was nothing wrong with my parents. There was no, there was no, uh, you know, sob story about how he was abused or beaten. You know, he kind of, he came from a decent family and he still turned out completely messed up. Right. Like, so he's like, he's, he's this totally broken person insofar as there's, there's not even a, a, an explanation for why he's broken. Yeah. And the, the explanation is ultimately, well, I didn't, I wasn't there to see Jesus. That's why I'm a murderer, right? So he's, he's, this is why I kind of think of him almost as a force of nature. He's just, he's sort of the incarnation of evil in the world. Just, I see, I, I, and that, I, I, I'm not as much of a fan of that. I think I like a much more personal reading because I think it's very much about his story. I mean, listen to some of the things he says. I was a gospel singer for a while. Doesn't sound like a murderer. I've been most everything. Been in the armed service, both land and sea, at home and abroad. Been twice married. Been an undertaker. I never was a bad boy that I remember of, but somewhere along the line, I'd done something wrong and got sent to the penitentiary. I was buried alive. And then it says, and he looked up and held her attention to him by a steady stare. This is like a very intense sort of thing. And being in prison was was crazy for him. Um, and so he does have sort of like a, I, I think there's something sympathetic about him. Earlier it says, my daddy said I was a different breed of dog from my brothers and sisters. You know, I ain't the worst in the world. You know, Daddy said, it's some that can live their whole life out without asking about it. And it's others has to know why it is. And this boy is one of the ladders. He's going to be into everything. 
right? So there, there's like he was sort of marked from birth as just a very unfortunate character who who had to know. And then later on, he talks about this stuff with Jesus. Like, it's so unfair. If I knew that Jesus had really done everything that it says he did, then I could leave everything and follow him. But I don't, so I might as well enjoy my life, you know, steal a car, kill a man, and just get my few minutes of, of pleasure. Yeah, well, I think that's, an in, uh, you know, it's a very interesting point because the reality is we've been spending the vast majority of this time talking about the last four or five pages of the book or not book, short story. Um, and I feel like it's very intentional that the first, like that two thirds of the book is literally just Flannery O'Connor, um, you know, kind of talking about through the lens of the grandma, I guess, and, and the family, like their, their trip down to, to Florida and kind of giving you peeks into the life of the grandma and how, um, you know, I know we, we spoke about this earlier, but you know how, you know, the type of person she is, the type of flat character she is that's that's actually the majority of the book right kind of going uh you know first trying to convince them to completely change their plans to you know kind of appease her then you know at the restaurant there's that whole you know you kind of get a glimpse on what she her views on like what's good which is really she doesn't know what what is good right, right. um to then literally manipulating the kids to get them to go down this dirt road where she thinks she really, you know, you, you really come to believe that she really had no basis to believe what was there. She, it was almost like a power move on her. Like, I want to go down here and by God, you're going to do it just because I want you to. And so she puts the kids against them. Like the majority of the book is that the majority of the book is examining, you know, the character of the grandma. And it's just interesting how it takes, how it's through these two characters, right? One, a criminal, right? One, you know, the misfit, the other, a grandma who, you know, there's not much to write home about her in terms of like morality or ironically good. And it takes these two characters to really, I guess, uh, bring out, uh, for lack of a better phrase, bring out the grace in each other, the best in each other. You know, of course the misfit ends up killing her and the family, but you know, we kind of talked into after how, um, you know, how his life may, may change from there. And of, of course, we've talked about the line the grandma gave, you know, several times. It took these two unfortunate characters, these two, you know, characters that did not have a whole lot of, quote unquote, good, that weren't good men, good people, to turn themselves into, you know, people with potential for good. You know, and it, that, that was something that, that you bring it up as like, you know, kind of repping it because when I read this, I actually found, like, the first two-thirds, like, pretty interesting. Because, like, right now at school, we're reading Fahrenheit 451. And I was kind of seeing, like, a, like a few connections between the grandmother when she's talking with, with uh, when she's talking with the kids and stuff like that. She's like, in my day, uh, people used to respect their parents and stuff like that. It was kind of interesting. Maybe it's just because it was, like, fresh in my mind. But I could kind of see, like, the grandmother kind of seeing, like, the decline in, like, her children and her grandchildren and seeing that. And I just thought it was really interesting. It was really cool. Because yeah. I, I, yeah. had, I had that fresh in my mind. And I was making that connection right there. And it was interesting. Yeah, I guess that's a different reading, for sure, of the story. Uh, 
not that they're obviously incompatible, but there may a different angle or a different part of the story that we haven't really explored, which is sort of like the obvious like nostalgia for uh for like the forgotten or the the South, I guess, nostalgia for the South. I don't know. I don't know too much about this aspect of Flannery O'Connor's life, but I do to the extent that I know her, I know that that was like a pretty important uh, part of her writing. Yeah, and, and yeah, they're they're definitely not incompatible because right because she's harkening back to like those old days, as if you know they were better. She's like, oh, these kids these days. Uh, uh, I'm putting words in the grandma's mouth, but you know, kids these days they don't respect their parents. You know, even my own son and his wife they don't respect me. You know, back when I was growing up, we had respect for our grandparents. You know, right. but she's kind of. Uh, using that as, you know, a place of uh, moral superiority, as if, you know, I know how the way things ought to be done, when in reality, she has no basis for it. So that kind of ties into One Piece point that, you know, she really does, she really does see kind of has a disdain for the way things have turned. Yeah. So there's definitely, but I, I could kind of pick up on that, like, how the grandmother was like, oh, in my day, things were so much better. And now everything's going bad and people only want what they want when they want it. But like the grandmother herself only what wants what she wants when she wants it. Yeah, that's a super good point, Pompey. And also the fact that this nostalgia can be pretty dangerous, right? It's the nostalgia that ends up getting them killed. Like killing them, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a super good point, Pompey, that as she's thinking about how better people used to be, that very she, act she's just sort of totally caught up in her own world. Exactly. And that kind of struck me, and I was like, wait, maybe, maybe like, sure, people are going downhill right now, but like, come on, like, you can also help with that. You're not, you're not, um, you're not washing your hands of this completely. Yet. Yeah. And ultimately, it's that nostalgia, as Wancho pointed out, that, that gets them killed. <laughs> you know, her. No, I mean, I mean, you know, people as they age are always saying that the world used to be better. It's not because the world actually used to be better, as far as I can tell. It's because the world used to be better for them because they were younger and further away from death. So, you know, this is like the internal dynamic, you know, uh, people don't respect their elders when they're young. The elders think that, you know, people have lost ethics and they're, 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 they have no appreciation of the past, and no morality. And then when you get old, you look at the younger generation with the same resentment. I mean, that you know, this... This debate, this conversation has been happening as long as people have been getting older. Yeah. Well, so, um, I think that there was like quite a big change from probably the grandma's time to when kids are being brought up. I think there is a big change there. Like that can't be ignored. I mean, there was like what what was coming out. I mean, TV like TV was there, like becoming a big thing. No, of course there are changes, but I think Frank's point is that does it regardless of the time you live in of course there's been and like tons of change these past you know 100 years you know 50 years but the sentiment stays the same yeah you know, like the same, but oh I, wow these life was so much better when i was growing up these these kids don't know how to behave these these kids these days you know it's 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 to the point where you know when you when you go up to someone and say ah kids these days they know exactly what you're talking about you know it's, it's a joke yeah, I know, but but like I could, I can definitely see gra- the the grandma's point more because, like, it was definitely there was a lot more changing back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose so, but I mean, if you look at today, you've got the hostility between uh, boomers and millennials. If you talk to someone from an older generation, 
you know, there's a decent chance that you're going to hear the word millennial used derisively. And if you, you know, and, and the, the, the hostility, the sadly, the intergenerational, intergenerational hatred goes both ways. There's a lot of anger towards boomers who many young people, uh, millennials and zoomers see responsible for the ills of the world. I, personally, I don't think people are, are actually different. I think people are just, people are just in different circumstances. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's something objective to it, but as Humpy says, but it's also, you know, clearly a relativistic sort of thing where, as you say, friend, every generation is going to be young and think that old people are stuffy and think they have a right and then get old and think that, you know, when they were young, it was, it was the way that things, way that things should be. No, it's, it's, it's pure, it's pure resentment over the fact that you are no younger, no longer young in my opinion, but we don't have to get into that. Yeah, I guess, you know, going kind of back to our original point, like, yeah, that, that's just one of the aspects uh, Flannery O'Connor used is to like kind of frame the grandma. But it really is like the first two thirds of this book is really just like kind of framing who the grandma is, the type of person she is, how she really doesn't have a very, the, the only thing that's good to her is not anything that's inherently or intrinsically good. It's something that's, you know, self-serving, a self-serving definition. And then, you know, you come to this final scene which is what, you know, we've been talking about for the bulk of the time. And you have someone who obviously, you know, you could say objectively is not a good person based on, you know, what, what he, what he's doing to this family. Right. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just interesting how it takes, uh, I think Flannery O'Connor is really trying to say something, how, you know, if you bring it to people of this nature and again, you know, I'll refrain from comparing the misfit to the grandma, right. We'll just say that they're both people, with a distorted sense of good. Right. Um, and it's, and they meet at the end and they themselves are even able to bring out, you know, good in each other for lack of a better word. I'm just trying to hearken it back to the title. And if they're able to do so, right. I guess it's, it's possible for really anyone to, to um, receive this grace, this uh, we'll call it illumination of, you know, what, what is good and what is not. Cause these are two people that, you could argue are, are very far from what, you know, someone might call good, you know, even away from like the, the Christian sense. Right. I think uh, obviously Flannery O'Connor was, was Catholic and everything, but you can just say it, you know, anyone can tell you that murdering a family of five is, is, is wrong. And uh, anyone could also say that, you know, being too self-centered is also wrong, but these two characters meet at the end and what do they do? They bring out good in each other. So well, the misfit does end up killing him. Not no, but if if you read up after, um, kind of like what we hearkened to before, like all of a sudden he he finds no more pleasure in killing. He's like kind of implying that he himself, you know, has yeah, the opportunity says, to change. There's hope. It says, um, uh, it says, something Bobby Lee said, "Shut up, Bobby Lee." The misfit said, "It's no real pleasure in life." Yeah. So like. I guess maybe he had changed. Well, yeah, yeah, it, that's good. it's hard to that's say. That's a good point. It seems it seems too optimistic to like totally run with it, but I do think it is. I I do think you're right, Juanpi, to the extent and Diego that to the extent that it's you know there is a grain of hope there, and maybe a maybe there you do see the possibility for redemption, right? I mean, he cried, he's crying, um, and even before sort of the grandma brings it out on him, right? When Bailey speaks horribly to his mother he sort of feels taken about back, even though he's about to shoot five people, six people. 
he still wants to hurt wants to sort of prevent her feelings so i yeah i do think there's sort of there's definitely like a yeah flannery o'connor asserts pretty firmly that there is there is hope for and uh even in this man who lived this totally totally immoral life and you were saying diego that you don't want to compare them too much um i think yeah obviously there's you know, you don't want to overdo it, but I think that's no. In there, in there, I, I don't want to compare them in that. Like, um, you know, obviously, you could objectively say that the misfit has yeah. done more evil in his life. I, I was trying to stay away from that and just say, like, look, they're both people who have a distorted sense of good. Yeah, I agree, hundred yeah. percent. That's kind of the kind of one of the neater things about the story to me is that yeah, you have the same thing happening to two people who are just so different, but you see what they have in common, which is that they both need grace or this moment of illumination as you call it which i think is a good word for it where they yeah, find and, and, really. and i think that's why um flannery o'connor spends the first two-thirds of the book talking about their grammar because i think in a sense you know everyone knows that a murder is evil there's 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 no question there but then you know the grandma i think a lot of readers could find traits of the grandma that maybe they share right yeah you know, she's yeah. a lot more like someone like me or you and she's kind of putting them at the end on a same plane, not in terms of comparing like who did worse, right? But in like, all right, does anyone really have like a sense of good here? Like what's it take to really bring out the, you know, to a, a rightful sense of what is good? I think the whole story reads super providentially because of something I said earlier, which is it just seems so strange that the story opens with the grandma reading about the misfit in a newspaper and then they meet him. It seems like such a throwaway line, but because it opens that way and then they end up meeting him the whole thing seems seems you know destined to happen right well like i said at the beginning it's it's as if she's calling the uh calling the situation into being yeah right she reads about the misfit she imagines meeting the misfit she brings the cat which is necessary for them to meet the misfit she causes the accident she takes them down the dirt road to meet the misfit. She waves down the misfit. She recognizes the misfit. <laughs> no, it's it's as if she's she's manifesting the situation. It's not, you know, she 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 you know, she she's calling it to being for for the first two thirds of the of uh, the story. But it's accidental, and, right? I mean, I think I think it's more that it's that she's an instrument, right? That God. Is, I mean, how many how many coincidences do you have to go through before you say something's really an accident, right? No, no. I, I mean, well, that's my point precisely. That is not an accident, but it's that it's also not the grandmother's intention. So I'm looking for somebody else's intention, and I'm finding that it's God's, right? That it would be God's it's hand of providence. Yeah, yeah, it's providence. Well, In this, it's this. Well, like, let's hey, let's let's not let's not blame the gruesome murder of a family on God, but I, I no, mean, no, no. Well, I, I mean, guess. of course, of course, that's complicated, right? But then the takeaway, I guess, would be that that God can draw good from evil, right? If there's one sort of act of mercy or one little spark of uh, of remorse or redemption in the misfit, then I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's there's that would obviously be sort of God's God. I can definitely see both points here, you know. But I can kind of relate more to Juanchos. I really can. That, like, there was like, a will that was trying to bring them there. And, like, there's too many coincidences for it to be, like, too true. So I think Lanier Connor was trying to say, like, God kind of put them in that situation. And 
good can still come out of this man if he sees that it was God who did it. But, uh, yeah, maybe maybe Flannery will come and put herself as the misfit. I don't know. But I'm saying, like, the misfit. Like, if he kills everyone but then sees, like, wow, she was actually, like, she had a good change of mercy. Maybe I can do that for myself. Well, well if Flannery Connors anyone in the story, I would say she's God, right? She writes the story. She makes <laughs> everything happen. Um, so, you know, if, if we're going to blame anyone, we're, we can blame her for the, <laughs> but, but no, the morbid nature of the story. It is extremely morbid. It's not a blame game, though. I, I like Diego's read that... Uh, the grandma's there because we're sort of all the grandma, right? And so the grandma's kind of a bridge between us and the misfit. The misfit is the story of somebody who has rejected God's grace in his life and is forced to face it and hates it, right? Because that's when people are living a horrible life, they hate having to face the fact that they are, in fact, living a horrible life. Um, and so there's something in that, something of that in all of us, right? But it's so remote and so extreme that we sort of need the grandma, who's just this sort of steady mediocre self-centered person as sort of a bridge between 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 us between us and the misfit yeah i think, I think it's definitely flannery o'connor's view yeah of it. but the point is that both the grandmother and the misfit need god's grace right yeah and i think that's what flannery o'connor is trying to say and if we put ourselves inside the misfit inside uh the grandmother's point of view and we can see that like we can in the God's grace. And I think that's what Flannery O'Connor was trying if to If we could put ourselves inside the grandmother's point of view, we can put ourselves inside the misfit's point of view. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I, exactly. I think that's exactly it. You know, that's that's why there's the grandmother and that's why there's the misfit. You know, there's the misfit, clearly, objectively an evil person, and then there's a grand the grandmother, um, you know, who just we can all see a little bit of ourselves in the grandmother, right? And at the end of the day, she she puts them in the same plane. She puts them in the same conversation. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think I think that's like kind of the climax of uh, of the story, obviously. Um, and and it's ultimately what leads, you know, um, leads both of them to kind of find. Well, I'd say specifically the grandmother in that that last line, but. Um, to, to find that moment of grace, that moment of redemption. <laughs> and we're, we're all, we can all see a little bit of the grandma in us, right? And it's easy for, you know, someone before having read the story to think, oh, well, am I really in need of God's grace, uh, God's grace as much as, you know, say a murderer is, you know, am I, do I really, you know, I live a much better life, right? And then we all start to see ourselves a little bit in the grandma and realize, yeah, it actually, you know, we do, we do need God's grace and we do, uh, uh, we, we, I mean, something that, you know, to us maybe seems obvious, but, you know, to, before reading the story, you know, we, we, um, we might say, you know, oh yeah, but that's a murderer clearly is, is in much more need of, you know, redemption and, 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 and grace and, you know, kind of, uh, a clear sense of what's right and wrong than we do. And then kind of this final conversation, uh, shows that, you know, uh, maybe, we, we are in need of God's grace much more than we think. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the Brothers F Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And also, please follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.